today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. That's why Paul can confidently say, man, if we're faithless, he's going to remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is going to continue to draw us to himself. He's going to continue to strengthen our faith, even in those times of fear, even in those times of doubt, even when, again, the clouds cover the shoreline and we can't see the finish line. Say, Lord, I want to finish well, but I'm struggling here. I'm doing battle, man. I'm I'm doing battle mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every essence and in every way. Lord, I'm doing battle, but I want my life to count for you. In this life, we have many trials. In today's message from Pastor David, he reminds us that God is always with us in our trials. Even when we are going through a season of doubt or unfaithfulness to Him, He is still faithful to us. We need to remember to turn back to Him and ask Him for help. God will always continue to pursue and draw near to those who love Him. If you find yourself overwhelmed by the battle that you're in, cry out to Him for help. He will help and strengthen you and lead you to victory. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, Faithful Focus. What an awesome reality that is, that when we die to our own self-desires, when we die to our own self-focus, then again, Christ lives and reigns more completely in us. As a matter of fact, it was Jesus who said in the gospel records, he said, if you're not willing to die, then don't even bother trying to follow me. Unless you're willing to take up your cross and die daily, you, you can't be my disciple. Beloved, this is a real deal kind of a thing. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, and yet it's not us that live, but Christ lives in us in the life that we now live. We live in the faith of the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. Paul says, we died with him, we shall also live with him. The second of these four conditional clauses is, again, a powerful reminder of the battle that we're in. If we endure, then we shall reign with him. And and here he's speaking of the endurance right in the midst of the battle. This is the battle that the Lord Jesus won on our behalf. He was victorious at the cross on our behalf. But the fact is, is there's a conflict that continues to remain as long as we're carrying this carcass around. As long as we have this old tent, there's going to be battles that are coming against us. Battles of our own flesh coming against the things of God. Battles of the world coming against the things of God's kingdom. Battles of the enemy, Satan himself and his demonic horde. Again, desiring to knock us off track, to knock us out of the game, to disqualify us. As that first statement, that if we died, we'll 
also lived with him, dealt with death and life. Here, Paul is speaking of suffering and glorification. A little bit later in this same letter in 2 Timothy over in chapter 4, Paul speaks about how that truth is worked out in his own spiritual journey. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul, at the end of his life, now he knows, man, I've only got days or hours. I know that thus far I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've run my course. I've kept the faith. And he now knows that a crown awaits him. Guys in his commentary, a fellow by the name of Newt Larson, commentary on First and Second Timothy. He writes something that this week I looked at and I said, wow, that is, that's right on. He said, Western Christianity has often adopted one of the most damaging values to true Christian faith. The most damaging values to true Christian faith. And that is the pursuit of comfort and ease. Christ is frequently presented as the answer to our problems or the fulfillment of all our needs. And yet Paul understood the Christian life as one of continued struggle, suffering, and hardship in order that we might bring glory to Christ. Think about that for a moment. One of the most damaging values of true Christian faith, the pursuit of comfort and ease. Can you see that within our culture? Do you hear that within the preaching of many? We do, and unfortunately, it's raising up a whole culture or a whole generation of uncommitted believers, uncommitted to the point of unsurrendered, unwilling to sacrifice, unwilling to die, unwilling to repent, and never being born again. All through the New Testament, the Gospels, the book of Acts, the epistles, and even in the book of Revelation, we read of this suffering which comes from being faithful to the gospel and consistent in our walk in Christ. Beloved, that's not just a first century concept. That's the concept that speaks to every generation of not being a part of this world, but living our lives with a focus on eternity and keeping that focus before us. As we get into the third conditional clause, we come to a place that can be and often is pretty misunderstood. Paul writes, if we deny him, then he also will deny us. The big question that ought to come to every one of our minds, well, wait a minute, who's who's the one denying and to what extent or how much does, does that denial lead to Christ denying us? Let me share with you. We know according to the gospel records that that Peter denied the Lord, but the Lord didn't deny Peter, did he? I I submit to you that all through, again, the, the generations since the time of Christ, believers have denied the Lord to one extent or the other. So the question is, have 
all that have denied the Lord for any period of time, if they lost their salvation, is it at that point that then the Lord no longer receives them? Well, Paul here in the Greek, he uses the word in the Greek that has a basic meaning of to, of course, deny or disown or repudiate or to refuse. The basic meaning is to to say no to someone. And when you take it into the full context of the all four of these declarations here, you have to understand that the, the status of this one here who denies the Lord, it would have to be different than this next one that speaks of those that are being unfaithful. One that says they deny, one that says they are unfaithful. It would only make sense here that in the context of what Paul is writing, that the denial would not be just a temporary sort, but something that is complete, absolute, and final. I think it could be easily understood to be directed to those that simply have a verbal assent to the lordship of Christ in their lives. And they've never been truly repentant. They've never truly been converted at all. There's never been a time in their lives as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, unless you are born again by the Spirit of God, you cannot see the kingdom of God. For these individuals, their profession, their verbal profession of Christ was temporary at best. And they're the ones that are easy to fall away whenever persecution comes. They're the ones whose commitment is so light that it doesn't really impact the rest of their life. They just simply make a verbal profession, but there is no change. There's no dynamic. There's no born-again experience in their life. Thus, in the end of their days, Christ denies them, just like he shares with us in Matthew chapter 7, that many will say to him in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Beloved, these, these are ones who are involved in ministry. Did, did I not teach a Sunday school class in your name? Did, it, did I not serve the church in, in your name? Did I, did I not give to this fund? Did I not go on that mission trip? Did I not do this? All of these external works, but Jesus says, it's not the external works. It's an internal relationship that changes men's hearts that allows us to be able to stand because there is a foundation within us that isn't simply mental ascent, but it changes the very core of who we are. So when the press of this world comes, oh, we may stumble, but we're not going to deny the Lord. They appeared to have a relationship, but they were never truly His. And that brings us to the last of these conditional clauses. This is where we find, I believe, a vast difference between those who fully deny Christ and those who are unfaithful at times or faithless. These are the ones, I believe at times, that the Lord just finds them lacking in faith. Paul writes, if if we are faithless, yet he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That God's, (laughs) use the word, dogged determination in our lives to help us, to assist us, to encourage us, to strengthen us when we are stumbling, when we are failing. We love him, but man, I am having such a struggle in, in my walk, man. I, I've, I've failed so many times. 
he says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. Now, we also need to understand, guys, these words that Paul writes here, this is help for the struggling saint, but it's not license for the rebellious. This is a healing word for the wounded warriors, but it's not an excuse for the traitor. This is hope for those whose faith is wavering, but it's not justification for those who never had faith to begin with. Once we truly become born again, the Lord places within our lives, the life of every believer, once we truly come to that point of being born again, the Lord places within us the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit then places within our lives that reality of ownership, that confirmation of adoption, that promised guarantee of our final sanctification and place in all eternity in the presence of Jesus. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for as many who are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Paul again in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit for us is the down payment, if you will, until the finality of our days when God comes and takes possession of us for all eternity. And beloved, if God has given us the Holy Spirit as the down payment, he's not walking away from that down payment. And the whole concept, the whole understanding of that, no, that is the assurance that we have that we are his because the Holy Spirit abides within us. That's why Paul can confidently say, man, if we're faithless, he's gonna remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is gonna continue to draw us to himself. He's gonna continue to strengthen our faith even in those times of fear, even in those times of doubt, even when, again, the clouds cover the shoreline, and we can't see the finish line. Say, Lord, I want to finish well, but I'm struggling here. I'm doing battle, man. I'm I'm doing battle mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every essence and in every way. Lord, I'm doing battle, but I want my life to count for you. Paul continues on telling Timothy here in verse 14, back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 14, he says, Timothy, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I was speaking to another pastor just this week about the importance of rightly dividing the word of truth, correctly interpreting it and teaching the word of God, the the seriousness, the intensity of that responsibility for anyone to come and stand before a congregation of people and to open up this word and to say, thus saith the Lord. Beloved, that responsibility can never be one that's taken lightly. And I don't believe that you can take it too seriously. 
I believe that, again, the understanding is, man, we understand this as we stand here as representatives. We need to rightly divide that word. To understand the truth of God's word, it's not open for private interpretation. It was given to us by the Holy Spirit through the pen of holy men years ago who were dedicated to representing the Lord Almighty through these words. And here we find the same idea, the same concept that Paul is giving us. Peter is in perfect agreement with him as he writes again about these issues of men misrepresenting the word of God. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, oh, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And I might add that even today, there's a multitude of false teachers. And they'll secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. That's why it's so important to stay true to the word of God and not to the mind of man. That's why as a teacher of the word, we have to be certain to rightly divide the word of truth, that the truth of that word will come forward and men and women will be convicted of their sin. They will repent in their hearts. They'll be strengthened in their faith and they won't be drawn away by the teachings of man. Paul continues on as he tells Timothy. He says, shun profane and idle babblings, for they'll increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer, like Hymenaeus and and Philetus. They are of that sort. They've strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. It's amazing to me how people will tell us how much they enjoy the fact that when they come here, we just teach straight out of the word of God. It's at that point, I don't know what to tell them because I don't know what else I would teach. I could grab the Reader's Digest or or today's news, share a few things, and we could be on the way. But man's wisdom is going to fail you. That's what Paul states as profane, idle babblings, these words of the false teachers. And because of these false teachers, many get confused in their faith. They're not grounded and founded in their faith. They, they, they feel that they put their trust in something that, that didn't take place and that they missed out completely. Some say, come to Christ, he'll solve all of your problems. And I came to Christ and my problems multiplied. It became harder in my life. This, this isn't what I signed up for. And so people walk away from the faith. Come to Christ and you, you'll, you'll feel so complete in your life. In many cases, that's true. But in many cases, man, there's still a lot of doubt. There's still a lot of fear. There's still a lot of attack of the enemy. And because that quick change didn't happen, because they're still battling with uh, addictions or they're still battling with, with uh, just internal sins, then they say, well, the, it didn't fix me. So they pull away from the faith. They feel that they've missed it completely. That's one of the reasons, too, as these false teachers, they come in and they they come in as date setters. I'm not too interested in date setters. Uh, Rather it be about blue moons or the alignment of the planets. You know, we shouldn't have been here today. Uh, you know, September 23rd, you know, it was supposed to, the planets were supposed to all align September 23rd, and we were all supposed to be gone. I don't know if you've read that on the internet, but I read it on the internet. It must have been true. 
I almost didn't worry about putting together a message this weekend. But hey, we'll be in the Lord's hands. Paul's saying there's too many teachers like Hymenius and Philetus that, that, that bring people to nothing more than some emotional stimulation. Or they bring them to fear or to empty expectations. Beloved, you and I, we need to live our lives as if Jesus is returning today, but we need to plan our lives as if he's not going to return for another 75 years. And so that means we need to be concerned about the next generation and pouring the truth of the hope of the gospel into that next generation because he may not come in our lifetime. Are we preparing the next generation? We, we need to be those that, that keep our focus on Jesus, but we also need to live a balanced life in, in a way that can stand in the midst of all the current battles, that we can, in the midst of the culture that we live in, that we are able to speak the truth in love to the ones that come in contact with us. If we're walking in Jesus, if we're seeking him in our lives, if we're being obedient to what we know is true, then we don't need to fear what hour it is or what day it is. We can live in joy. We can live with this anticipation, with this expectation, but we also need to plan for a solid life today of giving testimony of his keeping power in the midst of the storm. Guys, the shoreline, I promise you, according to God's word, it's just right ahead. It's just right before you. But there's a work that still needs to be done. Let's not give up too early. Let's not feel that we can coast the rest of the way. Don't be distracted by all the world's empty promises. And don't be discouraged by the timing of the Lord. Oh, why didn't he come already? Why hasn't he already come? His delay, do you understand? His delay in coming is purposeful. There's a reason he has not come yet. And Peter tells us that so very clearly. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some consider slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm glad the Lord did not come prior to May of 1970 because I didn't know him before then. I'm glad he waited. I don't know when you've come to Christ, but aren't you glad he did not come the day before? Beloved, there are hosts of folks who still need to not only hear that message, but receive that message. And I thank God that he has not come yet. Oh, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I also have family members and friends that don't know him. And you might be here this morning, and you've never really truly made that kind of a commitment. You have a verbal assent to the reality of Christ, but you've never committed your life wholeheartedly to him. You ought to be glad that he hasn't come yet, because he doesn't take just a verbal surface assent. He takes a commitment, a dying to self, in order that he might live through you, in order that you and I and whoever calls upon his name might be saved. Know that our sin is forgiven and know that we have eternity before us in the presence of Almighty God as our Father and not as our Judge. Open our 
That's all we have time for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 2 Timothy on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful that you've listened to today's message, but we want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But be sure to tune in next time for more from the book of 2 Timothy, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.